hear some revolutionary words from the Gospel of Mark. After a few days, Jesus went back to Capernaum, and people heard that he was at home. So many gathered that there was no longer space, not even near the door. Jesus was speaking the word to them. Some people arrived, and four of them were bringing to him a man who was paralyzed. They couldn't carry him through the crowd, so they tore off part of the roof above where Jesus was. When they had made an opening, they lowered the mat on which the paralyzed man was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Child, your sins are forgiven. Some legal experts were sitting there, muttering among themselves, Why does he speak in this way? He's insulting God. Only the one God can forgive sins. Jesus immediately recognized what they were discussing, and he said to them, Why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier, to say to a paralyzed person, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take up your bed, and walk? But so you will know that the human one has authority on the earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus raised him up, and right away he picked up his mat and walked out in front of everybody. They were all amazed and praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. And uh, right now we are uh, in our second week of the series Underground, which is a walk through the book of Mark. Now, Mark is one of the Gospels, one of the books in the Bible that tells the story of Jesus throughout his ministry into the confrontation with Jerusalem, the cross, death, and resurrection. And there are many of those, four exactly, to uh, tell four different types of perspectives. The one that we're focusing on, Mark, is one that has a lot of immediacy, a lot of urgency. It's the shortest, most direct, most plot-driven. And it's also one where Jesus is portrayed as really doing things underground, off the radar, saying, tell no one. And so we're trying to understand this underground gospel. Now, one of the things that inspired this series is the fact that I participated in a project of Unbound, which is a journal of social justice. We created a commentary on the book of Mark. I wrote chapter 6, and I was invited to do so in part because we were trying to, as they said, queer the Bible. So we were writing commentary from queer perspective or from the perspective of including queerness and queer people in the gospel. This is really, really important. And it's something that we talk about at Zao a lot. Who are we reading our Bible with? 
Who are we allowing to speak into our interpretations of the truth? Because for too long, only people with privilege, power, and dominance in our culture have been allowed to And that completely changes the gospel from a radical vision of an inclusive kingdom that upends empire and holds beauty and connection for all to an empire and oppression. And so, when we read intentionally from read with Jesus, go to the places of interpretation and truth that Jesus began from himself. Was interpreted in Queering the Bible by Basui Watkins. And Dr. Watkins, when it comes to church, Am I working now? All right. So we're interpreting this text from the perspective of those who are queer or who are allied with queer folks. And, and Reverend Dr. Watkins is coming to this passage in Mark 2 saying, who is left on the outside? He himself is saying, I see my queer siblings, my LGBTQ siblings, trying to get into the church, trying to have access to Jesus. And I see systems and structures and crowds barring them from entry. And so for me, I started to sit with this passage and wonder about accessibility. You see, Jesus is starting off his ministry, and the author of Mark chose to begin. This is only chapter 2 of 16, and so one of the things that the author of Mark wants to forefront in this telling of the life of Jesus is this particular story about accessibility. Now, I have had to think about accessibility differently throughout my life, but one of the most profound experiences I had was a couple of years ago when I was participating in a study of the book Push Out. Push Out by Monique Morris is an account of the way that black girls are pushed out of schools and into carceral systems. And I was being trained at the time, trained to lead communities through this book and contemplate it as followers of Jesus. And at this training, one of my trainers, Kenya, who is a black non-binary person with severe allergies, <laughs> began our group by saying, welcome everybody, we're going to go around the room and name our accessibility needs. Now, she talked about her needs related to her severe seasonal allergies. She talked about how she might have to step out of the room. She talked about how she was going to be sniffling a lot. And no, it wasn't this COVID thing that we had all started hearing about. Now, Kenya didn't have any visible disabilities. Kenya didn't have anything um, going on with them that would be described or understood in our community as being a person with disability. And yet, her movement towards accessibility created a totally different environment for the rest of us. 
The conversation started spilling out. People were saying, hey, here's my chronic illness. Here's my chronic pain. Here are the accommodations I need to care for my children. And we had a really rich conversation together about how all of our needs were different on the premise that all of our needs were valid and that we wanted to serve one another so that we could do the critical work that we had gathered to do well. You see, accessibility is about understanding that we all have differing needs and working together to meet those needs. And creating accessibility is the simple but radical act of asking one another, what do you need? What do you need to access common spaces, to access community, to access resources, healthcare, spirituality, and to actually take seriously what people say? The kingdom that Jesus is building is about community and connection that provides for all of us. Now, when non-disabled folks think about accessibility, we often think about ramps and parking spaces. This is in part due to the incredible work of disability activists who fought for the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, which made it a legal requirement of new buildings to create access for people with mobility devices. And this was important structural work. This is saying, hey, you need to ask folks what they need to physically be present in your spaces and accommodate that, not at an individual level, but at a structural level. It was brilliant work and it has changed our country for the better. But we still see all of the places that existed before that, that were structured before anyone in power was made to ask, how can we create mobility access? We experience that here in this building, which was built many, many decades ago and is deeply inaccessible to people with mobility devices. And so we, as a local community, are left to our own devices to try and make up for that difference, try and make up for that deficit in our structure that limits access to our community members. Instead of saying, as the ADA demanded, how do we start from the beginning creating access for all people? But accessibility is so much more than ramps and parking spaces. And in order to know what will make our communities accessible, we need to ask. We need to ask one another, including non-disabled folks, because systems aren't working for most of us either. But we need to start with the most marginalized. Ask disabled folks what they need. Listen and respond. So how does this work in the church? Well, if accessibility is about more than ramps and lifts, and it's more than ASL interpretation and subtitles, what is it about? Accessibility needs to include our theology. Now, the church has some really, really ableist theology, and it makes church unsafe for disabled people too often. So queer, non-disabled folks who are with us, I want you to think about if ever a straight person has unprompted, unasked, offered to pray for your healing from queerness. Has anybody had that experience? Yeah. How did that feel? Tragic. If you haven't had that experience, how would that feel to you? 
That is an experience that so many people with disabilities have of the church, have of Christians who unprompted offer their prayers of healing. And this is a huge problem. So how did we get here? How did we get to this place where one of the most basic interactions that disabled folks have in the church is one of marginalization from theoretically well-meaning but deeply, deeply harmful non-disabled folks? We got here by failing to read from the margins. We got here by interpreting from places of power and privilege. We got here by not listening to disabled people. So in addition to reading with queer perspectives, as we are committed to do in general and specifically with this series, we need to interpret the Bible with disabled perspectives. Just as there is queer theology and womanist theology and feminist theology, there is disability theology, brilliant work by disabled theologians who are using their interpretive power to help us, the rest of us, discern truth. Disability theologians have raised the alarm about the problematic way that Jesus' miraculous healing stories have been interpreted. Thomas Reynolds, a disability theologian, calls it the cult of normalcy. He says that any variation in bodies, any differences among bodies, are not accepted as just a regular part of variation in creation but that our community, our culture, identifies those with bodily power and privilege to be normal. And any variation on that normalcy is labeled as pathological and deficient. So when we interpret these passages where Jesus encounters people with disabilities, non-disabled people reinscribe that cult of normalcy by saying that the bodies of these people are deficient and Jesus is fixing them. But disability activists have been telling us for ages that it is not their bodies that disable them, but social structures of injustice. We need to listen to disabled people. And if we start from that perspective, there is nothing disabling about this man's paralyzed body, but the social structures that are preventing him from participating in the full life and community and kingdom, preventing him from getting to Jesus. What do we make of this story then today? So in this story, Jesus has come home, and the crowds are gathering. They've come to the home where Jesus is. They are crowding out the walls. They're crowding out the doorway. There's no room to get in. And there are a few people on the outside, including this man who is paralyzed. And so four of his friends are with him. And they get it, or at least they get it enough to follow directions. And so they, to access Jesus, to help this man access Jesus, they bring him onto the roof. They bring him onto the roof and they cut it wide open. They cut out the roof and they take him on his mat and they lower him down to Jesus. Because that's what he wanted, to be close to Jesus. Now Jesus encounters him speaks to him with love and affection and familiarity. Child, your sins are forgiven. And all the skeptics freak out because that's not what Jesus is supposed to do. He's not supposed to be forgiving people's sins. 
So Jesus is like, fine, okay, you don't understand what's happening here, so I'm going to do something you do understand. And he tells the paralyzed man, get up and walk. And so all the skeptics, all the people around were amazed. So what do we make of this story from a disability theology perspective? Disability theologians like Kyle Stevenson, who is a black man with cerebral palsy, argue that there are two elements to a lot of these stories, healing and cure. The cure is those instances in which Jesus chooses to cure the disability or illness a person is experiencing. The healing is the true goal of the gospel for all of us, to be made well and whole, connected to God and community and self through love and connection and justice. And in various miracle stories, we are seeing healing and curing, but not always both. Sometimes it is possible to be cured without being healed, and vice versa. Now, normative theologies of the time of Jesus assumed that these two were the same, healing and cure. That disability or illness was the same thing as being unwell and unhealed. They blamed sin. They blamed the disabled person. And whether or not we like to acknowledge it, this is still our culture's dominant theology. Sometimes it's those prayers for healing. Other times it's unsolicited advice that always seems to start with the phrase, have you tried? One of the voices in my life of somebody who has a complex chronic illness said this week, it makes me feel like people are saying it's my fault instead of the complex state of my body. And if it's my fault because I haven't tried the things, then you don't have to do anything to accommodate me. Systems don't have to change. In today's story, this man who is paralyzed can't access Jesus. He is looking for healing and wholeness and connection. But he is on the outside of community. And the people around him would have explicitly blamed him, said that it was his sin that caused his body to be different from theirs. When in fact, what is sin? We talk about this here. What is sin? Sin we define here as separation. It's a very classic understanding of sin. Sin is separation. And we visualize that here by thinking of the universe, of all creation, of our communities, as a web, a fabric of relationship and connection. The scriptures tell us about righteousness, which is right relationship. And the kingdom is the coming future where all things are in right, connected relationship to one another. And so sin is any separation in that fabric of love and connection. Sin is a tearing that separates self from self, self from others, self from community or God. And so when we look at this situation, where is the sin? Where is the sin? The sin is in the separation of this man from community and from Jesus. The sin is the casting out of a body that is different, that functions differently, that has just different accessibility needs than those who are crowding through the doorway. He is longing for connection. He has experienced wounding, separation from self, community, and God. Longing for connection. 
So he and his friends go after it for him. And they tear down whatever is in their way to get this man toward love, to get him toward God, to get him toward community. They cut through the roof, tearing apart what is inaccessible, and they get to Jesus. Jesus sees this paralyzed man and, and sees him with delight, calls him child. Instantly, a connection. You are loved. You belong here with me. I am so glad to see you. And so Jesus offers this man what he is looking for, healing, wholeness. His sins are forgiven. His wounds are healed. This connection is restored. But the fact that the healing and forgiveness of sins doesn't make him walk is proof that these things are different. That his, his body is not a sin. His body is his body. And that healing comes to him in the form of connection and love and support and access. It comes to him in the form of justice. Now the people around freak out. They don't understand what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus makes a concession, and I like to think of this honestly as harm reduction for the paralyzed man. Jesus is like, you know what, they don't, they, don't, they don't get it. I can heal the wounds you have now, but they're going to inflict them again and again because they don't understand a kingdom where your body is held holy, where you have access all of the time. They're not going to create space for you. And so because of their ignorance, because they don't understand, I will make you walk. I will cure you. They'll understand that. And you'll have access again. It is absolutely secondary to the healing that the man received. And the non-disabled folks were amazed. Now because of privilege and power, this man couldn't have had that access without his friends. Without solidarity. And so for all of us, this story is an, interpret is an invitation into examining our opportunities for solidarity. Dr. Watkins, as a straight person, read this and said, my solidarity needs to be with LGBTQ folks. I, as a non-disabled non person, read this and say, I need to be a better, in better solidarity with disabled folks and create access. So for you, how can you identify those structures, those systems that are keeping people out. What does your solidarity call you to tear down, to cut through, to destroy, so that we can build a kingdom where there is access and connection for all of us? If something isn't working for the marginalized, then something isn't working. And we have an obligation to destroy it as followers of Jesus. And you know, you would think that Jesus would be a little mad, right? Like, this story starts out with, Jesus was at home. <laughs> so this is either his roof, or the roof of someone else that he cares about and loves and is staying with. Jesus didn't blink when they tore the roof off of the house. Jesus was just so glad to see his beloved. What do we need to tear down? Now, these friends and this paralyzed man, they could have demanded that Jesus come out. Or they could have just waited 
until the crowd dissipated. Caught Jesus at the end like he's coming out of a concert. Hey, sorry to bother you. But they didn't do that. They did something braver, something bolder, and something holier. They tore down the structure that limited access for the marginalized person. And it actually reminds me of how we got the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. Now, there have been many, many years of incredible activism of all kinds, but it culminated in a striking demonstration known as the Capitol Crawl. On that day, disability rights activists with physical disabilities went to the Capitol building. At the bottom, they left their mobility devices, crutches, wheelchairs, power chairs, any assistive devices, they left them at the bottom of those hundred steps and collectively, they began to crawl and pull their bodies up the Capitol building steps, one by one, chanting, ADA now. Now, this was extremely disruptive. And legislators, suddenly and ironically, couldn't access their spaces and halls of power to do their jobs and go about their lives. The group included a second grader, named Jennifer Keelan, who had cerebral palsy. She pulled herself up those hundred steps using mostly her hands and arms. And she was quoted as saying, I'll take all night if I have to. Jennifer, the second grader, was right to do that, was just in doing that, was doing holy, holy work. How are we called to do that holy work and to be in solidarity with those who do that kind of holy work. Because Jennifer should not have to do that bold and brave thing alone. What is solidarity for you? How are you able to disrupt systems of injustice and evil? What are you willing to tear down, even if it's your own home? And a question for all of our communities. Are we looking to cure the world so it can feel normal to us? Or are we prepared for a healing which demands a whole new perspective on accessibility, on community, and on meeting one another's needs? This is why the kingdom requires prophetic imagination, imagining a world where everything is accessible to all, not where each person has to change themselves in order to fit what is normal, which is really what is powerful and dominant and privileged. Jesus says, it is easy, it is easy to say your sins are forgiven. It is harder to say get up and walk. And I don't think that that's Jesus talking about his work of healing the universe. I think that that is Jesus saying, you want the harder way to make everyone change. You want to do what is more difficult and wrong, to reform creation in, in a homogenous way, to make everything look like you. That's not, that's not the just way. It's not the correct way. It's not the loving way. And also, it's not going to happen. So it is actually most direct, most fruitful, most prophetic, most beautiful to look at one another and instead of saying change so that you are more like me, to say, hello, sibling, brother, sister, friend. How can we be family to one another? How 
Can I meet your needs? Here's how you can meet mine. Because the kingdom is for all of us. And like Jesus, we should be more excited about meeting our beloveds in their need and connection and longing than worried about the roof. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, you made us, you brought us into this world and you said we were good. May we live up to your image of us. May we live up to the image of your holiness that dwells within us. God, may we look at one another in love. May we trust one another's voices. May we listen and respond. And may we act in holy, disruptive solidarity with one another, singing and dancing and celebrating all the way towards a kingdom that has room for us all. Amen.